0: You are listening to UBC Waco podcast. <laughs> are you recording? Yeah. Oh, okay. We can use that as just a scratch track for now. Well, good morning and welcome to UBC. Um, if you are new here, we are so glad you're here. Um, if you're here for homecoming, we're, we're also glad you're here. Um, <clears throat> I like to begin uh, this way when I preach, uh, when I have the honor to preach in this place. Um, I open with something along the lines of this. Uh, UBC is a church that wants you to bring your whole and authentic self to this moment. But unlike some faith communities that you may have observed or been a part of, uh, we try not to prescribe what your whole and authentic self is. For some, giving yourself fully and authentically to these moments includes intense contemplation, maybe note-taking, maybe enthusiasm. For others, giving yourself fully and authentically to these moments include nothing more than occupying the chair that you're currently sitting in. You've given all you have just to be here and to do that. Most of us, of course, uh, usually find ourselves somewhere on a spectrum between those two extremes. Wherever you find yourself, uh, you are welcome, and whatever you have to give in this moment Uh, We consider an act of faith that is equally um, received by God as what someone else has to give. I'd like to add this that I uh, typically don't say. Uh, The goal here isn't to get anyone to occupy another space on that spectrum. If you give intensity to this moment, I don't want you to be less intense. And if you are checked out, I'm not here to get you to be more excited Here's how I define success and transformation in these moments. If you walk out of those doors, knowing that your whole authentic self is beloved by God more than you knew it when you walked in those doors, then it will have been a success. Second thing I'd like to open with. I went back and listened to the podcast of the last time I preached, and it was 40 minutes. Um, And there are a lot of people in this church that I could listen to for 40 minutes, and myself, I I am not one of those. So I'm going to give you a lot of that time back today. So uh, you are welcome in advance. At just three chapters, the book of Joel is a short book. It's part of what is known as the Minor Prophets, which in the Jewish Bible are all bound up in in a single book. Uh, They call it the Book of the Twelve. And most of those books follow a similar pattern. Judgment for God's people's sin. Um, in this case, in Joel, we're not given any information. We had this conversation this morning, uh, Carson and Keith and I, about how a lot of the Bible would be great if we had more context. Joel gives us very little context about what uh, the sin of God's people is, um, but if it's anything like the Old Testament, uh, other, other stories in the Old Testament, it's not our short American evangelical list of sin that usually includes um, really one or two different things, but is likely something along the lines of idolatry or refusing to take care of the poor. So there's judgment for that sin. There's a call to repentance. And then there is salvation from the results of that judgment. Joel opens with the judgment part, with a description of an environmental and agricultural disaster that has fallen on the land and the people of God. A swarm of locusts has come through and destroyed the crops and what that swarm didn't devour, subsequent different swarms of locusts uh, came through to cut off all sources of food for the people. And not only is the food destroyed, uh, chapter one, verse 16, Tells us that joy and gladness has also been have also been cut off from the house of God. It was as if every single thing they touched became sick with sadness. Anyone? Thanks, Maddie. Um, reading the first few verses of Joel chapter one is like beginning is like binging the all the seasons of Breaking Bad in one weekend then deciding to, to take Monday off and recover and deciding to catch up on The Handmaid's Tale. <laughs> you know, there was a time in my earlier days as an occasional preacher that I, would have, that I would have either avoided altogether these disaster texts that are found in the Old Testament, or I would have had to strain really hard to make some minor inconvenience like car trouble or tough times at work or my sports team not doing as well as they should, squeeze into the disaster box that scripture has handed us. Of course, this came from a place of privilege because if I had just looked around, I would have seen many of my neighbors being abused and pushed to the margins by systemic racism or misogyny or anti-queer rhetoric and actions by people in power. But for me, it was difficult to connect the dots between the text and my life. And then I got older, life happened, and within the course of a few years, several people I loved started dying. Old friends, best friends, uh, mentors, coworkers, a parent. I experienced what only years later uh, I would, was able to identify as mild clinical depression. I lost a job. But even then, without minimizing the trauma of all of those things, uh, those are all experiences and things that kind of come with the package of having breath in our lungs and blood throwing, uh, flowing through our veins. Tragedies, yes, but not what we would call a once-in-a-generation Biblical catastrophe, like locusts destroying all of our food sources. And then, on March 11th, 2020, those of us who work or attend school at Baylor received the text letting us know that spring break, which was going to happen the next week, uh, was going to be extended by a week, and certain personnel would be allowed to work from home. Two days later, Friday the 13th, all personnel were given the option to work remotely. Three weeks after that, one of my cousins called me and asked if I would officiate the funeral for her husband, who was one of the first documented deaths from COVID in Texas outside of a major metropolitan area. We all watched refrigerated trucks transform into morgues as we clicked refresh at four o'clock p.m. every afternoon on the MacLennan County Health District website uh, to see how many of our neighbors COVID had claimed that day. In the early days, we didn't know how it spread. Uh, The months went by in our homes, as the months went by in our homes, misinformation spread. The experts who didn't know everything about this new virus but had poured all, the, all their energy into figuring it out began to be undermined by people at the highest levels. Slowly, we watched a catastrophe of literal biblical proportions, some of which was inevitable, much of which, especially later, could have been prevented, unfold before our very eyes. And across the planet, 6.5 million people, roughly the city of Houston, including people we know and a member of our own church community, were and are still being lost. Does it feel like we have forgotten all of that? That it all happened? Add on top of this, it, it gets better, by the way. The sermon, hopefully. <laughs> Add on top of this, the mental and economic tolls that have, been, that have teamed up with environmental catastrophes and a reckoning with racism and hate, and it's no longer difficult to draw a straight line between plagues and locusts on the page, plagues of locusts and other plagues on the pages of the biblical text and the things that we have seen with our own eyes and experienced in our own lives. Back to Joel. After a call to repentance later in Joel chapter 1, chapter 2, which includes the text uh, that was read today, is about God's response. And God's response begins with the call for the children of Zion to, in the translation of Will Gaffney, sing and dance for joy and rejoice in the Holy One, your God. It's then followed by a promise that the people of God will be repaid for the years that the locusts destroyed. We are told that they shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. We are told twice within two verses that shame will never again overtake them. We've transitioned from Breaking Bad and Handmaid's Tale in the the text uh, to Schitt's Creek and Ted Lasso. Uh, And on top of all this joy that was given to us, we have these promises in verses uh, two, verses 28 and 29. And then afterward, I will pour my spirit out on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams, and your young men shall see visions. Even the male and female slaves in those days, I will pour out my spirit. If those verses sound familiar, it's because Peter borrowed them for his sermon uh, at Pentecost when the Spirit was poured out on everyone gathered in in place and everyone there were scratching their uh, heads and probably at least a little bewildered at who God had chosen to carry God's Spirit into the world. It was weird but beautiful like snow on a beach. Um, I've for the most part been ignorant to Taylor Swift, but I am no longer ignorant to Taylor Swift. And now I'm doing these sorts of inside jokes that all the Swifties um, have done. Um, Next time around, I'll wait up till midnight to watch, uh, to listen to you. I'm a slow learner. Uh, The story in Joel follows a familiar pattern uh, found in scripture, like I said earlier. Falling away from God, calamity. Repentance, then blessing and restoration. Beauty from ashes. And I think there is a lesson in that pattern for us, but I also think there's a lesson outside of that pattern for us as well. Of all the things I learned in my seven years of theological education that I somehow managed to squeeze over the course of two decades, uh, few of them have been in, as informative to how I read scripture uh, than this, the fact that the Bible includes many different genres of literature, uh, and we read different genres of literature differently. This is something we tend to know in our, in our regular non-biblical reading, but we find it difficult when we come to the biblical text to, to kind of um, do those mental, um, that mental work that we tend to do with other uh, readings and therefore, since, uh, so then the second part of this uh, is that many of those different genres uh, of literature that the Bible is written in aren't typically genres that we read today, and so therefore we don't have the tools at our disposal to kind of figure out um, how to read them. Two of those genres are prophecy and apocalypse, and the book of Joel blends elements of both of those. It's kind of an early uh, form of uh, apocalyptic literature. One of the characteristics of apocalyptic literature is this. Scenes that the writer paints for us aren't necessarily meant to be read sequentially or one after the other, but could be seen as happening concurrently at the same time. So, for example, when the writer of Revelation, probably the most familiar apocalyptic text to us, Um, in much more advanced form of literature than Joel was, writes, you know, he sees these visions and then he writes, and then I saw this vision and then I saw this vision and then I saw this vision. He's not necessarily saying that these strange and magnificent things that he saw happening are happening one after the other, but rather he was switching between scenes, some of which could have been happening at the same time. And so the and then I saw really meant meanwhile. Uh, a lot of paper and arguments about uh, end of the world timelines could have been saved with this knowledge. So, why does this matter here for our purposes as we read the, these verses in Joel? I do believe there is a biblical pattern of famine and then feast, of drought and then rain, of ashes and then beauty, but I also believe this. The abundant life uh, of God is available to us in the midst of or concurrently with famine, drought, ashes, COVID, not necessarily sometime after. We have the promise found in Joel that God's spirit will be poured out indiscriminately on all people and then we have Peter quoting that promise in Acts 2 to explain, uh, that what, is ha- explain what is happening at Pentecost, but I think we make a mistake uh, if we believe that God hasn't always been speaking words of truth through sons and daughters, or that her spirit hasn't always been being poured out on people that we haven't look, thought to look for her spirit in. We use this language uh, here at UBC. Uh, It's insufficient, but it's really the best language that we have available for us for the sake of brevity and clarity that says uh, this. We affirm women as preachers. Or we affirm that that LGBTQ individuals can participate equally and fully in all aspects of the life of the church as can non-LGBTQ plus individuals but that language is really insufficient because we don't really affirm women as preachers, and we don't really affirm the full humanity of the queer community. God does, and more importantly, God always has. We've simply tried with varying degrees of humility to allow God to expand our vision to see what God has always been doing and to say yes to what God does and who God affirms. God was always affirming even when we were saying no, surely not. A little bit of a pivot to the close. A week from today will be the 17th anniversary of the day that our pastor Kyle Lake tragically lost his life in the baptistry Uh, that once occupied a space in the wall that's behind me, where the cross now stands. It happened on Baylor Homecoming weekend. The event created trauma, both personal for me and others, but also institutional, that I believe this church still carries with us, even though it happened many years ago, and there aren't many of us left who were here when it happened. Uh, That's kind of how institutional trauma works. It stays in the ether and is perpetuated in systems. uh, And we can always be healing from it, but we are never fully healed from it. The days and weeks after that happened were the darkest moments in my life and in the life of this church. And while it is true that later, at some point in the future, we would see God's movement and light in our lives again, what is equally true is that we saw God's movement and light during those dark days as well. We shared meals together and like what was literally promised in the book of Joel, the vats of wine overflowed. We listened to each other as if God had poured God's spirit out on all of us. We were glad and we rejoiced in the Lord our God with singing and dancing. It's strange because I would give anything to have Kyle back here with us, but I would also give anything to feel the Spirit move among us again like the Spirit moved among us then. So UBC, in the midst of this kind of of post-pandemic, liminal space between pastors, times when our church is financially challenged, as you heard earlier, and times when we're trying our best to love and to trust each other, I think we are ready. I think beauty is in the ashes, not necessarily from the ashes. And to close, to riff on Carrie Fisher's beautiful sermon last week, The finest wine is both on its way and also here for us right now as we also wait for it. Will you pray with me? God, may we see beauty in the ashes. May we see light in the darkness. And may we know, all of us know, all of your Spirit. And we pray that in the name of Jesus, amen. At the end of the sermon time, we like to give a moment of silence for the spirit uh, to speak something new, to maybe correct something I said incorrectly, or to do what the spirit will do. So we will take that time now.